Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse Podcast, the longest running podcast of its kind. Carrying on the 18-year legacy of Army Wife Talk Radio, we have now expanded our community to include all military spouses of all branches and all components. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us as we empower military spouses to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Now, here are your podcast hosts, your Mission Mill Spouse command team. Welcome back, listeners. This is your Mission Mill Spouse podcast, which was created 18 years ago as Army Wife Talk Radio and has been since expanded so drastically that we're now serving all military spouses within all branches and all components. We're here to help you navigate this military life with resources, solidarity, and even some fun. This is episode 1004. And I am your host, Callie Bunter, Deputy Director of Podcast Production. I am Morgan Ingram, your content curator, joining Callie today. We do our best to be authentic because like many of you, we pursue progress over perfection by embracing the suck. We always have your back and are here to bring you the resources you need to thrive in your mill spouse life. On today's show, we're pumped to share an interview conducted by Kathleen Palmer, our Director of Content, as she chats with Ashley Coles and Daniel Stinson, co-writers of Horses of Fire. As we jump in today's show content, we want to take a moment to remind you that Mission Mill Spouse is now a 501c3 nonprofit organization powered and run by your fellow Mill Spouses. And we invite you to join us. Donating is simple. Check out our website, missionmillspouse.org. Or if you're looking for high impact reach, email partner at missionmillspouse.org and we'll get a personalized conversation going. We appreciate your support. Hey, Morgan, I'm looking forward to hosting this episode with you today. But before we get too far into the show, tell me what's new with you. Um, I am super embracing all things fall. And we finally had some cooler weather here in Virginia. When I mean what I mean by cooler is less than 80 degrees. <laughs> um, but I feel like I've gotten pumpkin spice almost every day over the past few weeks. My husband would agree and uh, frown on my addiction there. But we've been I've been doing great spending time with family and just embracing all the wonderful things of fall. How about you? Oh, definitely same. Even though down here in South Mississippi, it's still in the 80s and 90s. We've definitely, it's definitely getting away from over 100. I think uh, back in August, we had like 105 as our heat index. Um, We finally got some, some rain come in after several months of drought. So it's cooling down and it's starting. I I woke up yesterday and I went outside. I'm like, Ooh, it feels like fall. (laughs) And I'm right there with you with all things pumpkin spice. I think I've had way too much coffee with pumpkin spice for since, since it came out in August, I, I found it in stores um, in my local grocery stores before it released at Starbucks. So I've been drinking it since about, since we were in the hundreds. Um, it's never too early for pumpkin spice. No. And I've started decorating at work. Um, I've started decorating Halloween at work and they, they all just look at me slowly as I bring one or two more pieces of Halloween Mm -hmm. decor into the office and are like, you're really into the spooky, aren't you? (laughs) It's my favorite season. I I am a fall and winter type person. Me too, for sure. One thing I love about Mission Mill Spouse is when we get to take our URL online conversations and make them IRL. Thanks for giving us a glimpse into your Mill Spouse experience, Morgan. Thank you, Callie. Let's keep our program rolling and welcome some of our other Mission Mill Spouse Command team members to the mic. Time to tune in to Amy with her Moxie Minute, then our top news stories from Emma. Unlike our calendar plans, our commitment to serve military spouses is written in ink. Now continuing our 18-year legacy is Mission Mill Spouse Deputy Director of Empowerment with this week's Moxie Minute. Hey, Mission Mill Spouse friends, Amy Fisher here with this week's Moxie Minute. 
And I know that I've shared different words for Moxie. We've even shared some stories of historical military women. And that has been amazing, showing their Moxie. And now we've even been sharing fellow military spouses, sharing their thoughts on just thriving in this military lifestyle. And to me, all of that, again, exemplifies Moxie. And this week, I just want to say that it's amazing that we even have the resources that we do. When we joined almost 16, 17 years ago, blogs and podcasts were just becoming a thing. And to see how much it's grown is awesome. So we love that we have platforms to share on. And I want to remind you that it is okay to share the good and the bad. I think sometimes it almost makes it easier to handle or almost becomes more manageable when you've spoken it out loud and not let that quiet, maybe fear or insecurities or anxieties have any power over you. You know, and we all struggle in this military lifestyle, especially, but we are here together. And we've always said that not only are we in this together, but we've got your back. And we want to make this a platform where you feel comfortable sharing your stories and also hearing other other people share their stories. I, again, I think it just makes us all more relatable and it makes things just a little easier to bear and to walk through when you know that somebody else is doing it too. And the one great thing about this community that I personally love the most is our ability to connect with others and to make connections across the board, even if I've not maybe met you in person, knowing that I can send a friend your way and you'll have their back just means the world to me. And I've you know been able to put that in action, just even moving another friend now and sending friends to go get her for lunch. Like, I'm so excited. I wish I could be there in person, but at least I know that they are getting together and that will really bless them. So with that in mind, everyone, keep a lookout for me. If you see a great story that you'd like to share, or again, you would just like to be able to connect with others, let us know about that. It takes guts to have to step out and put yourself out of there and get out of your comfort zone in doing these things. And I call that moxie. All right, everybody, until next week, keep it going. Keep trucking along. Keep making friends. Keep making connections and moxie up. No news is typically good news in this military life, except on the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Here is our News 6 correspondent with this week's top stories. Howdy y'all and buckle up for this week's News 6 update. Italy spouses are going to work. Good news for dependents stationed in the sunny nation of Italy. They can now be hired and work for U.S. employers, a door that has been closed to them until now. A series of letters between the U.S. and Italy confirms that American citizens with a Missione visa are allowed to telework with the U.S. However, telework with nations that are not the United States are still prohibited. The letter states that U.S. employees fall under U.S. and not Italian employment laws. These laws include U.S. Social Security, unemployment, and workers' compensation laws. The status of forces, or SOFA, privileges will not be impacted in any way. Beth Conlin, who chairs the board of the Military Spouse Chamber of Commerce, hopes that Italy is just the start. If Italy can do this, then we need to take this model and demand it for every other country where we have military families assigned, Conlin said. Now is not the time to sit back and think this is done. We have dozens of other countries that we need to approach demanding the same kind of clarity. Glad to see worlds of opportunity open up for spouses around the world. Find out more at starsandstripes.com. Gold Star Widows may soon find love and keep benefits. There is currently a bill being tossed around the Senate that would allow widows of service members to remarry without losing their benefits. As it stands, spouses under the age of 55 lose the Department of Veterans Affairs Dependency and Indemnity Compensation and the Defense Department Survivor Benefit Plan if they remarry. A bill being led by Senator Jerry Morin, Republican Kansas, and Senator Raphael Warnock, Democrat Georgia, would eliminate the age requirement of keeping benefits and would also reinstate benefits to widows who already remarried before the passing of the bill. What I'm trying to do with this bipartisan legislation is correct a wrong, Warnock said. People who have lost their loved ones defending our freedom shouldn't have to struggle with deciding whether or not, at a time of their choosing, they should be able to move on with their lives, all the while honoring the love of their spouse who was killed. Given that many post-9-11 surviving spouses are widowed in their 20s or 30s, 
We are asking them to wait over 20 years to remarry and retain their benefits. Ashlyn Haycock-Loman, TAP's Deputy Director for Government and Legislative Affairs, said at last week's Veterans Affairs Committee hearing. Many surviving spouses have to put their lives on hold to raise grieving children. They rely on survivor benefits to help offset the loss of pay for their late spouse and their own lost income as a result of the demands of military life. TAP says that less than 5% of widows choose to remarry, largely in part due to the so-called remarriage penalty. 65,000 spouses who receive these benefits are under the age of 55. The bill has been dubbed the Love Lives On Act. This bill would also reinstate commissary and exchange access to remarried widows and also allow surviving spouses to re-enroll in TRICARE if the remarriage ends, either in death or divorce. The measure has three other co-sponsors, Senators Thomas Cotton, Republican Arkansas, Elizabeth Warren, Democrat Massachusetts, and Maisie Hirono, Democrat Hawaii. We love our government coming together in bipartisan action to help our spouses, especially our most deserving Gold Star survivors. Find out more at military.com. Hotels wave goodbye to affordable BAH rates. Beginning October 1st, Army hotels will no longer be charging service members their monthly BAH rate and will instead be offering their pricier nightly fee. Average of this is an extra $35 a night. Since COVID and the housing crisis that came with it, Army hotels have offered to families waiting for housing a flat BAH monthly rate after they use up their 10 days of TLE. These BAH rates have been used the most at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Washington, Fort Cavazos, Texas, Fort Bliss, Texas, Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and Fort Stewart, Georgia. It became too much to stay afloat, especially in these locations. An IHG official at Fort Lewis said that they released a memorandum warning of the change. Some people appreciated it because it's good to know, the official said. A handful of others jumped on it and said, you corporate evil privatization people, not knowing that for nearly four years, this was voluntary. For IHG Army Hotels to offer the reduced rate to help families. As a guy who worked to talk IHG into it each year, I get emotional about it because it hurts to read people saying about the program. IHG hotels hope that the October cutoff will be enough time for all families from this crazy summer PCS cycle to find adequate housing or make other plans. While we all appreciate all IHG did in the midst of a global crisis, as someone who just went through the PCS housing waiting game at one of the five locations listed above, it's tough out there. Here's hoping everyone gets a roof over their heads and dollars back in their pocket in a timely manner. On this day in history, on September 18, 1793, George Washington laid the nation's capital cornerstone. The building, however, would take almost a century to complete. They could not find a steady architect, the British set it on fire during the War of 1812, and it was called into service as a hospital during the Civil War. The capital, which is visited by 3 million to 5 million people each year, has 540 rooms and covers a ground area of about 4 acres. One of the most interesting facts I dug out about this exciting day in the chapter of our country is that George Washington hosted a barbecue after the ceremony. All I can picture is the father of our nation flipping burgers with a kiss me, I'm the chef apron, and the tall chef's hat. Probably not how it went down, but I don't see any proof to contradict my thesis. That's it for me. I'm Emma Tai with New Six, signing out. Thanks to our command team for going the extra mile to bring us these oh-so-encouraging and interesting sound bites each week. Now we're going to take a quick commercial break, then we'll hear the interview with Ashley and Danielle. We can't wait. Stay tuned. Mission Mill Spouse, formerly known as Army Wife Network, is continuing our exceptional and long-standing legacy. Now serving all spouses of all branches, we are the longest-running military spouse podcast currently broadcasting our 18th season. In fact, we will break 1,000 episodes in 2023. Don't miss an installment. Subscribe on our website, missionmillspouse.org, or catch our twice-weekly podcast on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six. 
Welcome Mission Mill Spouse podcast listeners. I'm Kathleen Palmer, your director of content here at Mission Mill Spouse, and I'm so excited to be bringing you today's episode full of information to empower and enlighten you. Our guests this week are Ashley Coles and Danielle Stinson, authors of the debut novel, Horses of Fire, a historically rooted retelling of the Trojan War from the perspective of Troy's women. Ashley Coles and Danielle Stinson first met as military brats living on a U.S. Army post in Würzburg, Germany, when they were 15 years old. Even their fathers were stationed back in the U.S. on the eve of their senior years. They kept in touch and have remained best friends for nearly 25 years, supporting one another through deployments, the births of six children, and their writing careers as novelists, all while living on opposite sides of the country. Their shared love of stories has been part of the glue that has held them together, and books have also helped them process their experience as military brats and Danielle's experience as a military spouse. Now they co-write epic historical fiction together under the name of A.D. Ryan, and their experiences growing up in the military community continue to shape their stories in profound ways. Ashley and Danielle, welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Thank you so much for having us. It is an honor to be speaking with you today. Yes, we're so happy to be here and can't wait for this conversation. All right, well, let's just jump right in. I'm so intrigued by your story. Um, and how did you first two meet and what bonded you as teenagers? Well, as you are that beautiful introduction, we, we met many, many years ago at 15 uh, on a military base in Würzburg, Germany. And I'm just going to call it like it is we were huge nerds that also played soccer so we <laughs> bonded we were always the kids on the bus that had the books out uh so we 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 became really good friends um because of our love of books and also our shared love of war stories i cannot tell you how many times we watched braveheart together or gladiator or the patriot and sob side by side at the at the movie theater on base um but we also loved a lot of the same books too lord of the rings uh, all the sweeping fantasies epic historicals and i think that that really was the glue that first formed our friendship. And I mean, we only lived together other than those two years in Germany. We spent one amazing year in North Carolina together while I did my AmeriCorps year and Ashley was um, in grad school at Duke. And we started writing together. We did everything together. I mean, it really, it really was sort of a kindred spirit situation. Uh, and we feel very, I feel very lucky to have a friend like her. And I think our, our upbringing really did bond us on Many of the things that we have in common, such as curiosity about the world, we have a little bit of adventurous spirits, a little bit of wanderlust because of our, our military upbringing, our desire for knowledge and how we always are interested in how people connect through time, through space. And I think that's allowed us to grow together. And even in the ways that we are different, we're always enriching each other's lives. And I feel like, yes, I'm just very lucky to have a friend like her. <laughs> just just hearing all of that together just brings me back to my childhood days and I laugh because you have something on your bio page about um, meeting out on the fire escape that used to sneak out and meet on the fire escape somewhere on one of your your buildings but um, why do you think you've remained friends for all these 25 years um I think you know it's like Danielle said those early formative experiences, you know, even just moving our senior year of high school, you know, we, we ended up loving living overseas in Germany. It was a hard, it was a hard thing to move back to the States our senior year, but there was this sense of like kind of going through that experience together. We both, I moved to Colorado, Danielle moved to Virginia. Um, and we just kind of kept in touch from there and just, you know, she was like my one friend that I was always going to make that extra effort to keep in keep in touch with. Well, it's funny because I was looking at the timeline for y'all and I was actually a teacher over at Darmstadt Middle School, almost in the same time frame that you were there. Um, but you guys, when you moved your senior year, it was right before 9-11, if I, if I got that right. Yes. And so you had to rely on old school ways kind of to keep in touch, not like what people do now. So I think that's pretty amazing that you that you were able to do that. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting because we were in Northern Virginia during 9-11. And I remember we were, you know, I remember running out of the classroom and finding my brother because my dad worked at the Pentagon and, and also in Roslyn. And so I remember Ashley was, she was my, the person that I, that I called immediately when we we knew that my dad was safe. So we've had this incredible bond. And when you, in those moments in your life, when you turn to people, she's the person that I've always turned to. And I feel like especially when you're like all of your listeners will know if your life changes and your scenery changes and people come in and out, but there are those, those, those lighthouse people that just remain your, your guiding lights. And I feel like when you find friends like that, 
it's such a, it's such a blessing, but you hold on to them. And I feel like that's something that we've really strove, we've striven to do um, throughout our 25 years. Lighthouse people. I love that. That's, that's, that's a great way to put it. And I think that military people know that uniquely that that's how important that is. Um, So let's, let's shift into a little bit of your writing journeys um, and how you came to co-write novels together, Uh, whichever one of you wants to start, we can, we can talk about each of your journeys and then how you brought it together. Well, we were, you know, like Danielle said, we were both readers first from, from very young. Um, and then we started writing novels individually in our early 20s. Like Danielle said, when we lived together in North Carolina, I remember her sitting on the couch with her laptop and, and she was like, I'm going to try to write a novel. And honestly, it was something that I had never considered. But a few years later, I was like, well, if she can do it, maybe I can too. Um, so we both kind of had our own individual journeys to publication. We published young adult novels under our own names. Um, and interesting, you know, they were in different subgenres, but we both featured kind of nomadic teens searching for a sense of home, um, which I don't think, you know, wasn't was an accident given <laughs> given our upbringings. Um, no, yeah. And but we've been talking about writing a retelling of Homer's Iliad for years. You know, Danielle's dad recited lines from the poem when she was in utero. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. so yeah. <laughs> And then I, I taught it as a high school teacher um, at, a, at a classical school where we really like we, we spent one whole semester just reading the Iliad. So we really um, got to go deep. So we've both loved this story. We've we've talked about writing this uh, a retelling together from the perspective of women. Um, and then we've had kind of, you know, these sporadic big planning sessions on the phone or during some of our visits with each other. Um, but I think we had to, like, live some life first before mm. we could really really tackle a story of this magnitude. Um, I think we both needed to become mothers to kind of get to some of the themes we wanted to cover. Um, So, you know, during the pandemic, that (laughs) seems like the perfect time to escape into the collapse of the Bronze Age. That's wonderful. Yeah. So when our our six kids are literally at home, you know, are at home literally climbing the walls, (laughs) we felt this kinship to the women of Troy who were trapped behind the walls of their city for this 10-year war. Um, oh, I love the metaphor. That's great. Yeah. It, it wasn't that hard to go there. Yeah. Um, and so we we wrote this story and we created the pen name for our joint venture, AD Rhine. And that was our nod to, you know, our personal history of meeting in Germany. I was wondering. I was yep. hoping that's what it was. All right. The Rhine River. <laughs> When you co-write together, so I've actually interviewed several authors that have co-written, and the most recent one was Marcus Brotherington and Tosca Lee, who wrote The Long March Home. And if you haven't read it, it's just phenomenal. Um, It deals with the um, Baton Death March, a fictionalized version. And um, they talked, one thing that they mentioned was because he was like a historical fiction writer, and she she was more of um, like sci-fi fantasy. So how did you guys collaborate your styles together? Or do you feel like your styles are kind of the same? That is such a good question. Um, So because we have been reading each other's writing since we've been passing notes in 10th grade, I feel like we were uniquely, uh, we have the unique knowledge of each other's styles. And I do think that over time, since we started writing together, we've been reading each other's um, work for so long that we are, we have a similar style, but what we have that is extremely different as our processes of how we write. And so I think it was less the style and more giving each other space throughout the writing process to do what we do really, really, really well. And we've learned, I mean, it's been such a wonderful experience because, you know, there are things that are, I'm like, oh, that was Ashley that she does that like so brilliantly. And there are things that I do that I'm like, okay, that's, that's my part. But then there are parts of our story that the words are layered like bricks. So it's very much a little bit of a love letter to each other and a, and a trust fall. So I think because of how we grew up and how long we've known each other, we were able to write in a way that felt very unique to us. And I think it created something special that was bigger than the sum of its parts. Do you ever wonder, like, did you ever get your notes caught when you were in class, passing the notes back to each other? And do you want to tell the teachers, see, we were just working on our careers. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's an amazing background y'all have. It was yes. fun. <laughs> but but I hope no one ever like looks up our entries in each other's yearbooks because I don't think you would you would be able to tell that we were gonna go on to become, no. become novelists. No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was like see you next summer, or was something a little different? <laughs> like stay cool. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. 
Well, y'all did stay cool. And I love, I love that, you know, you, you actually have those memories to go back to. It keeps everything real, I'm sure. But I'm going to move into the content of what y'all write about, because I don't know if some of our listeners remember having to have read the Iliad or the Odyssey in high school. But for those who are unfamiliar with the myth of the Trojan War and Homer's epic poems, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, why don't maybe um, one of y'all each tell or however you want to do it, tell what these stories are about. Sure thing. So I think since our book deals pretty much with the Iliad, I think um, starting there is probably a good place. So a lot of people have heard of Helen of Sparta, who was the most beautiful woman in the world. And um, depending on which version of the story that you go with, she was either seduced or taken by Paris, the Prince of Troy, across the sea to uh, Troy, which is modern day Turkey. And uh, it launched, it started this war because her husband was understandably, you know, not thrilled that his wife was taken away. And so he gathered his brethren and all the Greeks. So hers was the face that launched 8,000 ships. So the Greeks sail to Troy and commenced a 10-year war where they are fighting on the plains of Troy to take back Helen. Um, And we have some huge names that a lot of people might be familiar with, even if they've never read Homer's Iliad. You have Achilles, who is the greatest, you know, the greatest warrior of the Greeks. And you have Prince Hector, who is the noble um, Prince of Troy, the defender. And so we also, there was the Trojan horse, which a lot of people know because instead of, you know, they were not able to, to open those gates by force. So they had to, Odysseus had to find a way past them through, by, by trickery. And so this is, these are the main uh, bullet points of this war um, that most people think is a myth. But the thing that really interested us is that for most of history, people accepted this to be a real event that occurred. And we are now, we've swung back around to say that the Trojan War is probably based on some real events that happened at the end of the late Bronze Age. And that was what really interested us because we were like, this is, there's something super special about this story. That is, it is the one that we have passed down for thousands of years. And we think that it's because it is the ultimate warrior story. So it contains the warriors, the warrior's ethos, but like why we do the things that we do, why we keep repeating these things throughout time, throughout history. And it doesn't matter what century or what millennia, we see these things come up again and again. And for us as, as readers, when we read this, when we were kids, and then again, as, as adults, the emotions still hit. So these are events that happened, you know, three point, you know, 3,500 years ago. And when you read that good farewell scene between Hector and his wife Andromache, it still hits you in the chest. And I feel like that was one of the things that really made us want to take on this tale because it's a story about warriors, but it's also about the women and the people around them and all the invisible things that happen behind those walls. And I know speaking for myself personally, reading that scene of goodbye between Hector um, and his wife hit different when I was, when I was a kid, because I was imagining saying goodbye to my dad. But then as, you know, as a military spouse, I said, goodbye to my my husband. And 10 days later, he was in Afghanistan after we got married. So I was able to, I, I feel like all of the life experiences that we have had have really shown us how timeless this is and how relevant it is today. Oh, I love that because that's the greatest part about literature is that when you can go back and read something from Shakespeare to, you know, even far as back as as Homer's poems, it, it is timeless. Like the themes of life are timeless. So you hit that beautifully. And, and did I hear that correctly? You actually heard the Iliad for the first time in utero. Is that correct? So my dad has been say, singing at the top of his lungs, sing to me muses at the wrath of Achilles <laughs> since I was like, those are my first memories of my dad. And he read that to all of us when we were when we were, you know, when my mom was pregnant with us. So we were very, very literally reared on this story. And that's why the characters are so, it's, this is very personal to both Ashley and myself, not just because, you know, we both have connections to the, to the source material, but because when we were writing it, we felt this burden of responsibility to portray these roles and these people in a way that felt authentic and real to our own life experiences. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Ashley, I'm going to flip this next one to you. Why do you think the myths are so popular 3000 years later? Do you think that, I mean, there seems to be a big resurgence in the retelling of myths that I've seen in the bookstores and everything. Yes. Yeah. We're getting a lot of retellings of these stories, especially from the perspectives of, of the women, which is interesting because, you know, they may not have, you know, in the originals as many lines, but they, they were always like forces of nature. Like, I think, you know, you read that scene between Hector says that he seeks out his wife's counsel. 
um, which is just a really that that's that's kind of where the character Andromache, who is one of the main characters in our book, started is this idea of like, wow, even 3,500 years ago, he's the commander of Troy's army and he's looking to his wife for advice. Like that is really interesting. Let's explore that marriage. Um, And so, you know, I think it's just even we're seeing a lot of these retellings, especially from the women's perspectives, because, um, you know, even if we may not fully get the, the, the story from the perspective of the women in their originals, they are still these just very strong, compelling characters. And so now novelists are like, okay, they only have a few lines. What's the story between the lines? Um, And so that's what we are interested in exploring. Oh, that's amazing too. And it's funny too, because I know you, you, the horses of fire deals mainly with the Iliad, but I remember a student saying to me, it was like in the second year of war and we were reading the Odyssey in class and we were talking about Penelope and how long she had to wait. He said to me, Miss P, you guys are griping about waiting for a year. She waited 20 years for him to come back. It's like, talk about putting in perspective, right? <laughs> so I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right, especially with the husband um, wife relationships and those stories, um, how relatable they are, especially to our audience. Um, um, so if we were to move to your stories and I don't it doesn't matter if if each one of you wants to take one or how you want to do it. But um, if you could tell our audience um, the plot points or maybe what the novels of Horses of Fire and Daughter Daughters of Bronze are about. So yeah, so Horses of Fire and Daughters of Bronze, there are two novels that make up an epic and historically rooted duology about the Trojan War. Um, And like we've been saying, they're told from the perspective of those who really haven't had a voice in the original or many of the retellings of this story. Um, And so not just the female characters, we are also just really interested in you know, the characters on the Trojan side in general, because, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, they're written by the winners, they're written by the Greeks. Um, And so we were interested in the other side. Um, And, you know, those who were mentioned in the original, they always felt like significant characters. Um, Like, so we have Andromache, who we've mentioned, you know, the wife of Prince Hector, who was the commander of Troy's army. And in our version, we had her, um, be a military strategist of her own. And so she's, you know, really struggling with a desire to use her skills to help the Trojans win the war. Um, but she's also, you know, navigating the expectations of, of her as a wife and as a mother um, and Troy's future queen who has this pressure to, to give Troy an heir. Um, and then, you know, we have Helen of Sparta or Helen of Troy. Um, as Danielle mentioned, the the face that launched a thousand ships, the, the the name probably that everyone knows when they think when they if they know anything about the Trojan War, they probably recognize her name. But we thought, you know, what if the Helen you think you know? What if you, no one really knows her true story? Um, she's the woman this war is blamed on, uh, and we thought, you know, it was time to maybe offer a different view on that, uh, one that was probably more realistic historically speaking, since you know. The wars usually start for a variety of complex reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And so we wanted to kind of explore the geopolitics behind, you know, was she really just, was it really just about her or was there more going on there? Um, and then we also want, we have uh, Rhea, who is a uh, character we largely created, um, though she's based off of a young servant who is in the Iliad at that very important, uh, memorable goodbye scene between Hector and Andromache, and and she's holding their child, um, and but she's never given a name. She's just a servant girl, and so we thought, let's flesh out who that person really is. Um, and so Rhea is a war refugee, a horse whisperer who gets tangled up in a plan to spy on the enemy. Um, and it was really fun to kind of make up a character not only who didn't have a, kind of a backstory already written down, but who was from a different social class and allowed us to kind of move in different parts of, of the city. Um, and then, you know, as, as we said, Hector or Homer was a Greek. And so in his version, the Trojans, they're pretty much portrayed as having almost the same care culture as the Greeks. Um, but we thought, you know, if this myth is based on a real life war, which, you know, as Danielle said, many archaeologists and historians believe that it was based on actual events. Um, you know, the people of ancient Anatolia had their own culture. They had their own gods and goddesses with different names. Um, and so we wanted to to really highlight that and make them feel like they had their their own unique culture based on our, our research. Um, 
But I think, you know, ultimately this, this story is about the bonds of sisterhood um, that women established during, during times of war. You know, that was something we witnessed in our own mothers um, and the friendships they established with other military spouses while living on, on um, bases. And, you know, even though those relationships were often brief, they were, they were strong and deep. Um, and so, you know, growing up as a military kid, you can kind of feel like those experiences are invisible to the rest of the world or, um, or even our own experiences were invisible. You know, we might tell people, oh, I went to a high, sc- a high school on an army post in Germany, but many right. people outside the military, they're like, what were you doing there? Or what does that really mean? What does that look like? Um, and, but and so when we were reading, you know, this ancient epic, we, we had this sense that there's that aspect of, of military life has probably always existed. There's probably always been people who felt like their, their experiences were invisible, but they're still, you know, enduring their own kind of battle. Right. Um, and so we really wanted to make that more visible in our version of the story. Yeah, they actually call the 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 kids who grew up overseas third culture kids. There's a there's a whole um, documentary on it. It's very interesting about the military and the diplomatic kids that are, that live over there and how they you know have trouble you know identifying where they belong. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I relate to that term definitely. Yes. <laughs> I own that term. Yes. Yep. Um, so, Daughters of Bronze is okay in in the in the series. Is it a sequel or is it just a separate book? It is a sequel. And so it picks up the events. So Horses of Fire is a little bit interesting because what we do is the war went on for 10 years, but Homer's Homer's part only covers like roughly a month of the the war. And some pretty important things happened during that time. But it's like, what were all these people just like hanging out here on these beaches for 10 (laughs) years? Like that is not how war works. So what we wanted to do, as Ashley said, is make it realistic to see if it was if it was fought, how might it really have been fought? And so we, we wanted to rewind the clock back a little bit and show some things that readers, you know, might not be expecting when we zoomed out like that. Um, And so it takes place, you know, slightly before and we get to a few of the events that people will know, but a lot of the big touch point moments are actually in Daughters of Bronze. Uh, And so, yeah, yeah. And so we're hoping that even if you think you know the story, when you're reading it, you should feel like you're reading something that maybe is going to throw some curveballs at you but uh, until some give you a side that you maybe have never seen. And that was our goal. That's that's amazing. And then you're you already touched on it a little bit, but your memories from military childhood and your years of friendship, as well as recent events, all those things, have they all impacted writing these these stories? Oh, yeah. So to be honest with you, we're both classic, typical writers, slightly control freaks about the worlds that we create that we that we then like rule we felt like we were almost meant to write this story together. It felt very, I don't know, like magical when we started writing together. And I think that we would not have attempted to write with another person that wasn't like, I could probably could only ever write with Ashley. She's seen me in all the different, all the different messy, real versions of me that you will see when you're making art or writing or creating something with somebody like we were prepared to go there. And I think it was our background, but not only that we were able to be so real with each other and go so deep in places that sometimes are painful and like you're bringing up a lot of emotions, you're doing things that, you know, we're doing things that we really, really care about. And so that is going to heighten all the emotions. But I think it's also that we had the same things to say. So when you're writing something, a story like the story that we wrote, we we realized when we were sitting down to write that the thing that made us want to write it when we were 18 were still the same things that made us want to write it today. And they were like, we really had something that we wanted to communicate. And that was the same. And all the themes, things lined up so beautifully. And those themes were friendship and sisterhood, um, the bonds that are forged in the fires that are super hot. Like sometimes you don't even know what you're capable of until you're tested. It's a, it, it almost ended up being, like I said, a love story to each other. We were writing about the things that brought us together, the, th- the friendships that these women might have forged using our own friendship as a lens. Um, but also we wrote it for, you know, like our husbands, our brothers, our, our you know, our mothers, our fathers. And we we identify, we saw so many things in, in our characters that were also really drawn from life. Um, and we wanted to explore the costs of war, both visible and invisible, because I think there are a lot of costs that sometimes aren't you know, they're, they're not easily measured, but at the same time, for all those costs, there are also things that come out of it that are just so enduring. Um, and so we really were interested in that. And as Ashley said too, we were so interested in the, if, if our upbringing has told us anything, it's that there's always multiple sides to every story. That's what you get when you move around, when you see the world in different places, see how many, how many, um, 
perspectives there are. There, there are as many perspectives as there are people living in this world. And so I think that's what drew us to the Trojans in particular. Um, and we wanted to, at the end of the day, kind of give these people, the, especially Hector Andromache, all the characters that we've always loved, we wanted to give them a story worthy of what they'd always meant to us. And also the motherhood aspect. I feel like if for any of your listeners that this might might speak to, um, as women writing during the pandemic, you know, as we said, we have lots of, we have six kids between us. And there was, there are a lot of changes happening in the world that felt particularly relevant to the story that we were writing. If, whether it was from like, you know, moms trying to protect their kids during shootings, the war in Ukraine happening, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, all these images on the news that we were getting bombarded with felt so incredibly relevant. It felt like some of the scenes that we were reading in the book and some of the things that we were working on were being, were playing out right before our eyes. So it's almost sad and we wish it wasn't as time as timely as it is, but these are things that we that we wanted to put into the story because we felt like they they will be around as long as there are people. Absolutely. That's very well said, too. And I and I think I think you're right about like the current events and how much they really they make us reflect as parents about what this world we are leaving to our children are is as well. But I really love that what you said earlier, maybe Ashley said it about history seems to be written by the winners. And so how great it is that you give the other perspective. And I love that. Um, we're going to have to take a quick break because we have some sponsors to get in there. But um, thank you for sharing so far about your journeys and how your book came to fruition. And listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Ashley and Danielle, you can find them on the web at www.adrhi.com. A-D-R-H-I-N-E.com or through social media at their handle at A-D-R-H-I-N-E underscore author. And don't panic. It's always in the show notes. So you can go right there and get to it. Stay tuned for the rest of our interview with Ashley and Danielle, authors of the debut novel, Horses of Fire. Our mission is to globally empower military spouses with resources and support to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Whether you are an individual, a Fortune 500 company, or somewhere in between, join us on our mission. Make your tax-deductible contribution at missionmillspouse.org, or if you're a business interested in sharing your product or services with our more than 100,000 followers, email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Military spouses around the world, thank you for your support. Welcome back, listeners. We're continuing our conversation with Ashley and Danielle. Now let's jump back in where we left off. And I think we were talking about growing up in Europe and all the military history you're surrounded by. Um, was there one place in, in Europe that you visited, um, either one of you or both of you, actually, that really impacted you um, just to your core? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, <laughs> I can speak to a shared place. We both, okay. we, had our, we had our junior prom in a medieval castle. Um, huh. <laughs> so that, that in Würzburg, uh, so that, you know, definitely leaves, leaves a mark. Um, and I think just gave us this sense of, of history being all around you from early on. Was that um, the, was it the Marienburg fortress? Yes. That- yep. Well, we, we played soccer together. Um, and so we we're fortunate to get to travel around Europe for our games, you know, playing against other Dodds high schools. Um, and then we, we both went on to study abroad in college, um, in Spain and Italy. Uh, so I think both of us, we've always kind of had this, this part of us that felt that feels very at, at home in Europe. And I know a lot of people who have been stationed there feel similarly, like it's, it's a second home. And when you go back, um, there's all these, these feelings of like, oh, this is, this is such a, it wasn't just a place I lived. It's like a part of me. Um, and then I, you know, I'll speak for myself, I've always loved history. Uh, some of the earliest books I remember uh, reading as a, as a child were historical fiction. So, you know, the Little House books, Island of the Blue Dolphin, uh, Anna Green Gables. And then I know I went to study, I went on to study history in college because of that time spent in Europe and just being surrounded by history. Um, and, you know, Danielle took the more political science angle, but still, you know, very always looking to the past. And I think we're both very fascinated by the people who lived before us because we were, we're just really interested in human nature. You know, why do we do what we do? Why is war still with us? Um, why are some people able to find courage even in very difficult circumstances? And I think those were all 
um, aspects of writing that, you know, growing up in, in Europe for a time contributed to? Well, so, and I think too, that like when you, when you talk about all those things too, the influences and in grow, you know, where you grow up around there too. I remember taking uh, our kids on a field trip to the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam. And, <laughs> and I remember trying to explain that to some of my stateside teachers. And it's, it was kind of hard just to, you know, explain just the significance of standing where the, where she stood, you know? Um, but I think that leads into my next question of, of like books. Like, so what are books you read as children that helped you cope with the instability and the changes that are part of military life or even to understand life in general? So it's really interesting that you just said Anne Frank House. I want to just pick, because I, that was one of the things that I was going to say is I remember walking there when I was going up those stairs when I was young and my parents taking me there. And it is hard to put into words how something like that can affect you and can like leave such a lasting impact. Um, but as far as books, there are so many books. Honestly, I was the kid that read everything that I could get my hands on. So my influences were very wide. But right. when I was a kid, I remember there were some books that the ones that you remember. And I think I remember when I was very young, A Taste of Blackberries by Doris Buchanan Smith and then Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. I remember because these were among the first books that helped me realize you can process like difficult emotion and even grief through stories. And I think that that really impacted the type of stories that I ultimately am, I return to over and over again, stories that help you understand more about yourself when you're reading them. But then, I mean, like I, like I said, I read everything that my dad had out. I read all the Mishner books, Steinbeck. I read the Ken Follett books. Ashley and I actually spent an entire summer reading Lord of the Rings on the couch side by side. Like, <laughs> it does not get dorkier, but our, our parents felt very safe when we were together. They, oh my God. Yeah. So we did that. I mean, also like, I love fantasy. Watership Down and The Last Unicorn were two of my favorite. If anybody is out there, hasn't seen the classic movie, it is some <laughs> creepy animation, but let me tell you, that will stick with you. I loved those books. So those are some of mine. Um, I still read those as an adult. Ashley, do you have anything to add? Um, I mean, yeah, the, the ones I, I mentioned, I think, you know, just the little house books in particular, it was, I, I, I remember there was like a, a moment where I realized, huh, this is a dad who's moving his wife and three girls all over the country. I'm from a house where I'm the oldest of three girls and, you know, my dad is a soldier. We're moving all over the place. So it was this like this sense of like, oh, this isn't just something that is difficult saying goodbye to people. It could actually be an adventure. And um, I just remember that sense of like connecting with a character uh, in a story and that that character's experience helping me process what I was going through. Mm hmm. And, and I think we, it's funny about what you said. I always get more connection out of fictionalized stories than I do like self-help books or memoirs. And I'm not saying I don't connect with those, but there's something about reading fiction that gives you permission to feel a way knowing that maybe that character doesn't really exist, but feels the same way you do. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but you kind of tapped into that for me. Um <laughs> When yeah. you talked about your different your different books, um, and we as we move into the next phase of our questioning, I hate this word resilient. Um, I think it's overused, but I would ask you: Do you think that your upbringing in the military made you more resilient? And but did you also think it made you more creative as well? Oh, for sure. Um, I understand what you mean about that word too, because it <laughs> because no, because it can mean so many different things, and there are so many different ways that we can be resilient. So it almost feels like one word is not quite specific enough to kind of like address it. But yeah, right. I feel like for me, so when we lived overseas, a lot of the times, I mean, I lived, I lived, I grew up mostly in Europe and my parents put me in public schools in Germany and Italy. And so I would go not knowing how to speak the language. I would go and show up. And by the end of the year, I have it figured out. So it was hard, but I think that that those experiences of being the person that was struggling to, to fit in, struggling to learn the language. I feel like they've made me tougher and I'm more willing to make mistakes and put myself out there now more than I would naturally have ever been. Cause I think I'm hardwired to be very much an introvert, but I can get out there now. And I think it's given me a confidence in myself that I can stand my ground no matter what the situation is, but also knowing that I can relate to somebody in any room and also, you know, to give you not just strength, but compassion. And I think that that's, for me, the thing that I feel like it wasn't just 
the strengths that it gave me, but it was my ability to put myself in somebody else's shoes and to relate to another human being. And now like, that's what I look at. I, I hope my kids, when they go to school, I'm less, con- I'm less concerned in what like their grades are, not that I don't care, but how are they treating the people around them? Like, how are they welcoming the person that is the new kid? Are they making room for others? And I feel like those are the, those are the sort of intangibles that really have impacted my life for the better. And I think that describes so many military kids right there, making room for others. And I think our our kids are so good at that. Um, and, and it doesn't mean they enjoy it all the time or they enjoy being the new kid, but I think they they have accepted that's part of like what you glean from our military lifestyle. And it will serve them well as adults, I believe, as well. Do you think that books can serve as companions to military? I know that there's a lot of books that you know, kids really tap into, but are there any books that you would recommend for military kids or that are out there now or even the classics? I'm going to recommend Ashley's book, Beneath (laughs) Wandering Stars. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go there right now. She wrote, I'm just going to hype this because there's no other story that I've ever read. Like I remember reading um, The Great Santini by, uh, I remember reading that book and like, I love that book. And it was a certain, like you felt things in there that just like immediately drew you in. But what Ashley did is in Beneath Wandering Stars, she captured the, the period of time when we were young in Europe, moving around, she captured the experience of a military, of a military brat so perfectly. And I think everybody should go out and read that book. So, but Ashley, I, in all honesty, the wandering star, when I read the synopsis online, I, I really thought the same thing that Danielle was just saying, like, wow, what, are, that would be great for teenagers, middle schoolers to read for sure. Well, and that, you know, I, I was motivated by the fact that I, you know, every kid should be able to go to a library and find their their experience, you know, in a book somewhere. Um, and I, and I felt like there wasn't a book about being a, a teenager, um, kind of right before nine 11 growing up in Europe, like that was something that I couldn't find. And so that, you know, it definitely was a, a motivator for wanting to share that experience, give insight for those who aren't familiar with it. But, you know, for those who did grow up that way to be like, Oh my goodness, there's a character that is like me. Um, no, it's great. I'm excited. My my list keeps getting longer, girls. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so we're moving into my big question number nine, which is um, where can our listeners go to find more information about your mission to support military spouses, which for you guys, maybe just more about your books. Um, and then also, is there anything that we missed that you really want to get out to our listeners who are going to become potential readers? Yeah. So you can find us several places. The easiest would be our website. So that's the one that you're going to have listed below, 80ryan.com. We are also present on um, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, we've, we've we've gone out of our in, introvert shells and we tend to be pretty goofy on there and pretty real. So if you, you can come look at, watch us make, you know, fools of ourselves occasionally, like, you know, it is, it is, it has been fun and it's so much more fun doing it with somebody that's a friend because, you know, it just really takes the pressure off. And we've had a lot of fun interacting with our readers and other people there. I would also say that on our website there, uh, Penguin Random House has come up with an amazing book club kit. And we, we've met so many people through book clubs, through, you know, love of literature. And so we were going to say, if anybody, you know, you, you have that resource there for question with questions and things about uh, horses of fire. And we are completely open to if anyone's doing a book club, reach out to us and we'd love to zoom into your book club for a few minutes and talk to you about these things that, you know, these books and these themes that we love. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, I would just add to that, you know, I've, uh, I'm almost 40 and these last five years have been the first time I've broken the three-year moving streak, which... <laughs> is I, I think, you know, a, a remnant from my, from my childhood. So uh, I've moved a lot, even as an adult. And as an adult, I found books as a great way to like meet new people, connect with them um, in a way that isn't just surface level. You know, they allow you to kind of have conversations about real, really real things uh, pretty quickly. So, you know, if, if anyone out there is, is moving soon or has recently moved to a new place, like even if you aren't a huge reader now, you know, audiobooks are having an amazing renaissance. Um, I love it. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, you know, connect, you, even if you, you can, you maybe explore reading that way by listening uh, while you're in the, in the school pickup line, like we often do. Um, but yes, I think book clubs are a great way to connect with other people. And yeah, we would love to 
give you our book club resource on our, our website and, and, and come talk to your book club if ever that's of interest. Well, we are going to have to wrap up, but thank you again to today's guests, Ashley Coles and Danielle Stinson. We wish them all the best and look forward to seeing more books from them, hopefully in the future. And thank you so much for coming on the show, ladies. Thank you. This has been such an amazing conversation. I'm now energized for the rest of my day. <laughs> yes, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we we really appreciate everything that you guys have said and have done um, also to support the military community. So we are going to wish them all the best and we look forward to seeing all the books that are coming out and all the ones that you recommended. I hope people have been writing them down. If not, I'm going to put them in the show notes too as we go back through and engineer. So if you miss the book titles, don't worry, we'll get them in the show notes along with all the websites and all the things that you need to know. So thank you again, Ashley and Danielle. And now now back to our hosts in the studio. Par for the course for yet another excellent interview. Thanks again to Ashley Coles and Danielle Stinson for joining us this week and sharing their book, Horses of Fire, a sweeping epic to explore the tale of Troy like never before. If you want to connect with Ashley and Danielle, check them out on their website, adrine.com or on Instagram, Twitter at adrine underscore author. They can even be found on TikTok at adrine. Morgan, what stood out to you about this interview? I think the thing that stood out to me the most was just the enjoyment. It seemed that they got from just being in the interview. I so loved the dynamic there. They um, just seem like super close and I'm all about that. And I am a huge book nerd and I love historical fiction. And so I got really excited. I'm like, oh my goodness, this sounds like a great book. And these people seem so sweet. I want to be friends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just really loved, I loved the whole thing. Um their conversation was easy and it was just a really fun podcast to listen to. Oh, most definitely. I love how they use their shared history into their pen name, A.D. Rhine. Oh, um, yeah. Rhine bringing in their shared history in Germany where they met and how they also used this shared history to mesh their writing styles because they're both writers in their own personal aspects. And then they come together to collaborate on writing. And as a history buff, I love that they give voices to the women of Troy and bring more life to these classical stories that you grow up hearing about. But and, and some people have never re really read the Iliad or anything like that. Um, I know I've read some of it. I've tried to get into it. Um, I'm more of a more of a more modern history like uh, War Roses forward type oh, yeah. history buff yeah um but i i do love historical fiction um i have an entire library of historical fiction i majored in history uh military life resources and great people two of my favorite things speaking of resources and people let's take a look at this week's resource recon from our band of bloggers. Since we just celebrated our 1000th episode and have had a load of change this year, I'd like to look into a recent blog, Passing the Torch. What does passing the torch mean to us as military spouses? For guest author Heather Barnhill, it means reflecting on what she would have needed all those years ago. I really loved this blog. Um, it, it goes for a military spouse just reflecting on her, I think, 20 some odd years of military life, trying to see what kind of information she would give to a to a girl that she met when the girl was three years old. Now that she is a military significant other, I, I don't know if she's married to her cadet or if she's just dating her cadet, but going into her military spouse life, how she would give her information. So passing the torch, that's the perfect title of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I love I'm all about like recognizing um emotions i love how she kind of brought to light some of the things that she was feeling and some of the things that she did to 
um, handle those things and the advice that she would give to others kind of entering into the um, mill spouse life and just saying, hey, you're going to feel these things. It's going to be horrible, but don't worry. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been a military spouse for going on 12, 13 years now. Um, And so I try to, and I've transitioned from no, no cell phones on deployment and very limited communication to the days of Yahoo Messenger and Facebook, the early days of Facebook Messenger to my husband tosses a SIM card into his cell phone and we can text and talk and all the things um, like our first deployment together was a deployment to Afghanistan where he I would literally not hear from him for six weeks when he was out on debt sites and now it's I stop my day at 10 o'clock to call him when he after he eats dinner and when he's in Spain so it's definitely interesting going from the early the earlier years of modern military spouse life to now and the wisdom that comes with that. Oh yeah. I've only been doing this for a little over three years, so I don't feel like I have a lot of wisdom to offer, but I am a huge advocate or I will always be here. That's my role as a mission mill spouse is you need to talk to someone, you need a shoulder to cry on, you need a Starbucks run with a girlfriend, I am here. (laughs) Oh, yes, more, most definitely. It's definitely about passing the torch from one military spouse to the other and making space for the new generation. Right. Our final fantastic resource for today comes from our Director of Empowerment, Amanda Bicknese, with her Empowerment Patrol report showcasing our everyday empowerment recipients. Let's listen in. We here at Mission Mill Spouse never doubt the strength of our military spouse tribe. Here is our Director of Empowerment with this week's Empowerment Patrol report. Hi there, Mission Mill Spouse listeners. It's me, Amanda Bicknese, your Director of Empowerment, bringing you this week's Empowerment Patrol Report. Do you know a military spouse, service member, family member, community member, or a nonprofit organization that goes above and beyond to empower the lives of others? Nominate them today as a standout empowerment champion for Mission Mill Spouse's Everyday Empowerment Award. It could be a relative, a spouse, a nonprofit, or a battle buddy that you've met along the way. Everyday Empowerment recipients will receive a digital certificate, a token of our appreciation, in real life, on-air recognition via this podcast, and be included in a social media reel each month with their fellow winners. Nonprofits that are selected will receive a $100 donation from Mission Millspouse to support their continued work within the military community. To nominate someone or a nonprofit, you'll just head on over to our website at missionmillspouse.org, select the Get Involved tab, where you'll then click Empowerment from the drop-down menu, and you'll find that nomination form. We would love to give praise and recognition to those spouses and organizations who are helping you throughout your mill spouse journey. Until next time, I'm Amanda Bickmees reminding you, empowered spouses, empower spouses. Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are our primary focus. We have more than 2,600 blogs with topics, including PCS, parenting, career guidance, humor, deployment, and more. Whether you're dating a service member, have just said I do as a new spouse, or are a seasoned spouse with a whole collection of PCS stickers on your furniture, we have something for you. But hey, don't just take our word for it. I'm Lindsay, and when my husband joined the military, I was completely lost when it came to assimilating to military life and culture. This organization made me feel like I had support, a new community I could lean on, and equipped me with invaluable information about military spouse life. Tap into all of our empowering resources at missionmillspouse.org or follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Millspouse. 
as they say, time flies when you're empowering military spouses. As we near this episode's conclusion, note that we drop not just one, but two podcast episodes per week. Tune in each Thursday for a shorter version of our podcast when our command team members get personal and chat about their lessons, lives, and challenging moments within their military spouse lives. Mark your calendars for our next full-length episode when we chat with our very own Director of Podcast Production, Manda McVeigh, in her episode, Resilience Redefined, Embracing the Holistic Pass Versus the Suck-It-Up Mentality. It's going to be another great addition to our extensive podcast archive. As we wrap up, we want to invite you to consider joining us on our mission in other ways. We're always seeking bloggers to contribute once per month submissions. All spouses from other branches and all components are welcome. Finally, if you have a resource that applies to military spouses, inquire about being a guest on our podcast. Our season books up quickly, so don't wait. Email hello at missionmillspouse.org or send us a direct message on any social media outlet. Whether you're stateside, overseas, or temporarily living in a hotel with your service member, two cats, dog, and three kids, please remember that we're here to help you navigate your mill spouse journey. We're cheering you on, and no matter what you're facing, we want you to remember, we've been there, you're not alone, we've got your six. This is your Mission Mill Spouse Command Team signing out. Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your tribe and leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice to catch episodes that drop every Monday and Thursdays each week. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or LinkedIn at Mission Mill Spouse. Snag some sweet freebies by signing up for our newsletter, The Sit Rep. And finally, if you'd like to join us on our mission to serve military spouses, consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website or email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Mission Mill Spouse, empowering you to navigate this military life since 2005.